Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It is the Monday after game week number one of the 2020 SEC football season, and what an opening weekend it was. Good afternoon. Welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and you. Surely by now you know that the C Spire text line is always open to you. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're always asking the big questions like why wait for the next device to get the device you want. Right now you can get any iPhone for $100 off at your local C Spire store and online at cspire.com. What did you think of the weekend? You're a Mississippi State fan. How happy are you today? You're an Ole Miss fan. Are you bummed out? Are you encouraged? Is it somewhere in between? You're a Southern Miss fan. Hmm. What are your thoughts on this Monday? We want to hear from you. And also don't forget that to begin the 4 o'clock hour, as we do every single Monday, 52 weeks out of the year, we bring you winners and losers. Who deserves to be at the top of the list from the weekend? Who should be on the loser side of the list from the weekend? We'll get into that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Boys, a college football weekend in the Southeastern Conference is in the books, and that was a heck of a lot of fun. How are you? I'm good. Although I'm convinced that there are people that they either just don't watch games or or like just kind of decide what they're watching and not actually take it in. For example, everybody last night in the Saints game blaming Drew Brees for the loss when it's the defense yet again that let the team down. I saw a power ranking in the SEC that had Auburn and Georgia ahead of Mississippi State. And I don't know if you watched Auburn and Georgia, but I would not put them ahead of Mississippi State. I saw a quarterback power ranking, multiple, that had Bo Nix ahead of Matt Corral. What are people watching when they (laughs) sit down and watch these games? Because none of those things were what actually played out on the field. But yes, feeling good getting to talk about football again. But in no way, shape, or form did Georgia look better on Saturday than Mississippi State. In no way, shape, or form did Bo Nix play better than Matt Corral. And in no way, shape, or form did the Saints lose last night because of Drew Brees. Soapbox off. We can have a good day. Borky says he's happy on Monday, and yet he leads with a negative. My guess, Mr. Haydad, is that you will be leading with something a little more positive. I'm fine. How are what, you? What's that big old grin on your face for? <laughs> he threw for I really, I really missed it. 23 yards. 623 yards. What? I, I, I have watched the highlights two dozen times, and I still cannot. I knew it was going to be different, Richard. I said for eight months, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And I still can't wrap my brain around what I saw 
on Saturday. I never in a million, million years would have guessed 623 yards. And the thing is, he didn't play his best. Oh! Uh, not even close, really, uh, to his capability. four turnovers. Four turnovers, one of which was a, a really bad interception. Uh, there was a few drops as well, but at times he missed a couple of guys. That is not the best you're going to see, possibly, from him. Now, you may not get to 623 again, but... That was that number that is blowing Haydad's mind when there were a lot of throws and plays that he wishes he had back. There's another stat today. I don't know if you saw it, but Brody or Brooks Cabina tweeted it from, from the Baton Rouge Advocate. State had 383 yards after the catch. <laughs> I mean, 383 yards passing is a fantastic day. After the catch, 383 yards. Incredible. Incredible. In college, think- rushing yardage is a bit... Um, it's a little bit deceiving because sack yardage is factored in, right. and KJ right. Costello was sacked a few times in the ball game, five times yeah. to be exact. And so there is a minus thirty-eight next to his rushing yardage total, right? And that subtracts from forty-nine gross yards rushing in the game for Mississippi State. But the net rushing total for Mississippi State was nine yards. Nine yards, seven carries for Kylan Hill for 34. Marks had three carries for 15. K.J. Costello credited with five carries, but that was five sacks. They're not running the football with K.J. Costello. The Southeastern, hey, Dad, Dad, I said this on Friday. I've said it a million times, so have you. The Southeastern Conference is a line of scrimmage league. You run the ball and you stop the run, you win football games. You should. However... (laughs) When you get there are this this sort of goes back to, to to two things. When we talk about yards or yards, I mean, if I told you on Friday State's going to have 632 total yards, State won the game, right? No question about it. You don't care how those yards are divvied up. They won the game. So there's that. I'm going to ask you the question I asked on Twitter and I asked on the podcast, Richard. Here you go. If I tell you a year ago State and LSU play and State has 16 carries for nine yards in the game, what's the score? Who? It ain't pretty. 52 to 6. To nothing. Nothing. Nope, State won by 10. And should have won by more. Um, I want to go back to what Borky said a second ago. His point about K.J. Costello not necessarily being at his best. Five touchdown passes. 623 yards passing, which set a single-game passing record in the Southeastern Conference, and it didn't just set the mark. It blew the mark away. I I do not have it in front of me. I think the previous mark was 554. Nope. 544. 544. I was off by 10 Mm -hmm. yards. And so we're talking about 75 yards difference. He didn't just set the record, he blew the old record away. Yeah. Um, yes, he did throw two interceptions in the game. And were there, were there was it two fumbles on Costello as well? Uh, yeah. The one was a, a snap that there was some sort of communication issue on, and the other one That's was right. stripped. Where he was kind of, he wasn't ready, the ball snapped, and he the wasn't other one was ready, stripped. The ball so, came, yeah. so, so, so ball security, a bit of an issue. I've got no, honestly, I have zero problem with two interceptions. You, you oh, threw the ball attempts, 60 yeah. times in the game, and it's not like LSU's just got bums. I know they lost a ton. And Derek, uh, let me ask you this. 
you get the news Saturday morning that Derek Stingley was taken to the hospital on Friday night with what appeared to be like food poisoning or something along those lines. Right. Does Stingley playing in the game on Saturday, in your mind, make a significant difference? It makes a difference. I don't think it changes the outcome. If you go back and watch the the, the, the game over again, State had guys open. So if, they, if Stingley was taking a guy away, it's not like Costello didn't have other options. Yeah, he so may Kylan have made Hill, a difference, but he doesn't make 623 yards difference. No, no, I, I certainly agree with that. I, I completely agree with that. Got a question last night before, or yesterday afternoon before the polls came out, asking, hey, where, where do you guys think Mississippi State will be in the polls? And I said probably mid-teens. I said, and my guess is that there are going to be some outlier votes in both directions. I think you had a number five that was put in there. Uh, that was maybe in the AP poll. Um, you probably got some that are outside the teens, you know, maybe still in the twenties because they weren't in, weren't ranked in the preseason. I think you had but not five very guys many. who ranked five guys who ranked LSU and didn't rank Mississippi State. They should get their vote taken away. They should, but I, honestly, I, I mean, what are you at that point? What are you doing? I, yeah, I concur. Um, Kirk Herbstreet said, "Kind of a weird year to be ranking your top four, but he ranked the top four, and then the next two were Georgia and Mississippi State." So Kirk Herbstreet, who is kind of considered to be the reasonable voice of college football, after one week has Mike Leach's Mississippi State team as the sixth best in the country. And I don't know that based on performance, you know, is Mississippi State the number six team in the country? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. But based on on-field performance in the 2020 season, it's kind of hard to argue with. I mean, it's all we got to go by right now. That's all we've got to go yeah. by so far. Yeah, right yeah. Yeah. And guess what? Mississippi State very well could go out and score 45 or 50 again this week against Arkansas and have a four or five touchdown win and be 2-0 and going on the road to Kentucky the following week for a night game. A Kentucky team that is 0-1 right now and we'll face Ole Miss on Saturday in Lexington. And and I haven't completely changed how I feel about Kentucky. I still think they're very talented on the offensive line. Terry Wilson doesn't just scare the heck out of you. They certainly don't have the weapons that the Florida Gators have. And I think there was a lot that you take away from Ole Miss's game on Saturday against what I believe is a top-five team in the country that makes you think, Ole Miss can win some games too. They're not yep. going to go seven and three or eight and two or nine and one, but I don't think it's insane to think that this old Miss team could end up at six and four. Certainly not insane to think they could end up five and five. And as an aside, they better check the lights on the scoreboard before the Egg Bowl this year. Woo-hoo, we're gonna be there all day, brother. My That's goodness a gracious, game could that happen. be fun on the Saturday after Thanksgiving? We'll dive a little deeper into Mississippi State's win at LSU. We'll look at Ole Miss's loss to Florida and a whole lot more. Just getting started with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line with you, 601-879-4395. Remember, guys, everyone has film now. If State duplicates that performance again Saturday, it will surprise me. Look for softer zone with two deep safeties from here on out. 
Everyone had film before. Yeah, and Ar- Arkansas. Look, Arkansas played Georgia tough, but Arkansas does not have the Jimmys and Joes that even LSU had on Saturday. They they more, are lacking in talent significantly. It was surprising though to see Bo Pelini never adjust to the crossing true. routes, never getting out of man. And then my gosh, it's like he's never seen a wheel route before. And you're right, but at the same time, like I said, I mean, this is Mike Leach didn't just come up with this offense on the plane ride down. And this is the same offense he's been running for 20 years. There's plenty of film available of what Mike Leach wants to do. Yeah, saw one of the film analysts on Twitter on Saturday see or say that Mike Leach is literally running the same offense that he has run every year for two yeah. decades. How is that even a little bit of a surprise? How many times have you heard us say, you know what Mike Leach is going to do? It's not. He's not going to change. And, and, and frankly... What one of the things that I, you know, doing interviews for the last nine months since Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach have been hired, one of the questions that I've had will be, you know, which offense adapts and adjusts the most quickly because Lane Kiffin has a history of saying, we're going to adjust the offense to make it work for the players that we've got so that we can get the ball to the best players. And frankly, that's what he did on Saturday. And with Mike Leach, he says, this is my offense, it's proven, it works, learn it. And that's what he did on Saturday. And it worked quite well, thank you very much. So So maybe there's not a right answer. Maybe it's you've just got to believe in what it is that you do and then go out and do it well and execute. And that is certainly what Mississippi State did. Hey, let's walk through these numbers. Um, okay. I, I know you just started with the 623, 623, 620, but, but there's more to it than that. Okay, so the rushing numbers, a total of 16 rushing attempts, but really 11 rushing attempts in the game. Right. And really, if we're being honest, it was 10 rushing attempts in the game. Yeah. You, you got a team rush kneel down at the end of the game. No, and no, KJ that, that's, Costell- that's, the, uh, that's the fumbled snap. Okay, I'm sorry. So, so a fumbled snap. Yeah. For minus two yards and five sacks. Right. There, there were ten handoffs to a running back. Kylan Hill had seven carries for 34 yards. And Marks had three for 15. Costello was 36 of 60, 623 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions. His longest completion was 75 yards. That was to Kylan Hill. Sweet little move in the open field, man. That was unbelievable, yeah. And that was right after LSU had scored. What an answer. All right, so here are the receiving numbers. Kylan Hill, leading receiver, eight catches, 158 yards and a touchdown. Osiris Mitchell, seven catches, 183 yards and two touchdowns. Austin Williams, seven catches, 57 yards and a touchdown. Javante Payton, six catches, 122 yards. Tyrell Shavers, two catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Cameron Gardner, two catches, 35 yards. Dylan Johnson had a catch. Malik Heath had a catch. Marks and Johnson. Jay Marks. Who who is that? Jaquavius Marks. He's the uh, second tailback. Okay, Jaquavius Marks, one catch. And then Johnson had a catch as well. That was, that's, Tucker that's Day only Bill. punted that's twice in the game. Pass. Say yeah. again. That's a, that's Dollar Bill Johnson. He only he's a right tackle. He caught a deflected pass. 
Jeez. Air rate's so good, we're spreading it out to the linemen over here. Jeez Louise. So Tucker Day punted twice, Reed Bowman punted once. Right. So the question, the biggest question going in when you were talking about Mike Leach's offense was, yeah, but Mississippi State hasn't had anybody that can catch the football. How many drops did you have on Saturday? I counted three. Uh, and only one of them was like an actual, you know, drop, drop. One, two of them were just, I would call them more like PBUs. They, they were, there was good coverage, and the guy got his hands on it, but got wrestled away from him. So out of 24 incompletions, only two, three, four, depending on how you want to look at it, were drops in the game. Right. Guys caught the football. And the ones that caught the football the most were guys that were coming back who had not had a ton of success. Kylan Hill hasn't been a huge piece of the passing game for Mississippi State. No, no. Seven catches for Osiris Mitchell, seven for Austin Williams, and six for Javante Payton. Yeah. Javante Payton had nine catches last year. (laughs) It's not just that they were catching the ball. I mean, there was questions more than just their hands, and they spent the entire game getting open in one-on-one matchups. But we say all this. We say all this about the offense, and it's fantastic. That's not the most surprising thing. The defense was the most surprising thing. I'm glad I was just about, we were on the same page because I was just about to turn the page to that. Because let's stop for a second. Defensively, Mississippi State had seven sacks in the game for minus 45 yards. Yeah. Errol Thompson had 10 tackles. Aaron Brule had 10 tackles. Brule. He's French. Brule, if you prefer. Well, I mean, Preston had, no, I understand. Preston had 11 tackles. Yeah. So many question marks about the defense going in. Yeah. And they gave up yards and points, although, you know, I would put 10 points on the offense. They threw a pick six, and they fumbled deep in their own territory, which went to a three and out, but LSU kicked the field goal. You know, but I think their game plan was solid. Let Miles Brennan try to win it. He showed you. I don't think that he's capable of doing that. They they really clammed up the LSU running game. It only gave up two point one yards per carry. Of course, that did involve some sacks, but even then, they were under four yards or under five yards a carry. Um, they got pressure. They got a couple of turnovers. I mean, if you had told me State was going to score thirty four points, I, I would have probably believed you. I was like, yeah, I could see them getting points, but I was like forty four points, maybe even. But to, to, to play as well as they did defensively, I know the stats don't really bear that out when you give up 400-plus yards and 34 points, but they were a lot better than I thought they would be. Zach Arnett had a good scheme. His players played hard. They tackled well. They, they, were, they, they didn't have a whole lot of misses on their assignments. I was incredibly impressed with State's defense. It was a lot, lot better than I thought it would be. Is it sustainable? A uh, little bit, little bit different look with that three-three-five. Got some pressure. Yeah. Obviously, got some pressure. Now, some of that was because LSU was in certainly in predictable passing situations. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, state state played a, a bunch of guys. You know, Sean Preston wasn't a starter, and he ended up being the leading tackler. Uh, guys like Tyrus Wheat and, and Jordan Davis, but they both showed you that you know that they could be some impact JUCO guys. I thought that you know the, the, the defensive line, Kobe Jones, Jaden Crumity played really well. Pickering played really well. I thought that one of the reasons Thompson looked as good as he did was that Crumity and Pickering in front of him did a good job of eating up some blocks. As long as they stay healthy, they can be. 
Can they be the best defense in the conference? Probably not. But can they be a middle of the pack, seven, eight, nine in the in the conference defense? I think so. And think look, so. And that's that's going to be enough, I think, to win a lot of games with with this offense. I I, I don't think you're. If you're Mississippi State, I don't think you're getting sized for rings today. No. No, Joe, we're not doing that. But but it was one game. But it was one really good game. On the road against the reigning national champions. And look, I mean, I, 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 it's impossible to put an amount of time on what we spent talking about what LSU lost from a year ago. And how many times, hey, Dad, did we say, you know, Mississippi State might just be getting LSU at the right time? Yeah. Could, you know, 20, 25,000 people in the stadium. First game for anybody in the SEC against Mike Leach in this offense. Five returning starters, what, three on offense, two on defense, or mm-hmm. two, two on offense and three on defense. Mm-hmm. Best player on the team, which we didn't know this in advance. Not not until Saturday morning. Best player on LSU's team is out with with kind of a freak illness deal. The the stars lined up, and then on top of that, Mississippi State executed at a really high level. Yeah, on both sides of the ball and on special teams. Let's not forget that you know all the kickoffs were touchbacks. Brand new kicker Brandon Ruiz wins the place kicking battle, a transfer from Arizona State. He's three for three on the on, on the game. I thought he had a chance to be special teams player of the week in the SEC. State, I mean, yeah, does LSU were they missing players? Sure. So state state missing a lot of players from last year. Yeah. And you know, that's just part of the college game. The better team won. And it, not the more talented team. LSU is still more talented than Mississippi State. But the team that played better won. State played better than LSU on all three sides of the ball. Bubba and Meridian says KJ Costello throws a more catchable ball than past Mississippi State quarterbacks. Said he throws a lot like Eli Manning. He throws like an NFL quarterback. I don't know if that's the right comparison or not, but he was good. He was very good. Really good. And for his efforts, not only the SEC Offensive Player of the Week, but uh, a few National Player of the Week awards as well. Let's talk a little bit about Ole Miss and Florida when we come back. We'll be back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's temporarily turn the page from Baton Rouge to Oxford. Certainly we've got plenty to uh, unpack still with Mississippi State and LSU. We do have game times for the week three games. That includes Mississippi State playing a night game in Lexington against Kentucky. That is on October the... 10th, right? Yes. October 10th. Yes. And uh, Ole Miss getting a, um, I guess it's a night game, an evening kickoff against Alabama, 5 o'clock on ESPN for the uh, Week 3 game against Alabama. So let's talk about the Rebels and the Gators. 51-35 to 35 was the final. Florida jumped out to a lead. Ole Miss answered. And then as the second quarter went along, Florida kind of took control of the game. They had a stretch in which they scored on six straight offensive possessions. Touchdown, 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 field goal, field goal, field goal. And I'm not sure that I used the right um, the right descriptor on the, uh, on the broadcast on Saturday, but I did point out that 
the last drive of the half was big for LSU because kind of had an opportunity for a two-for-one, which is a like an end-of-basketball game term where you're talking about go down, get a shot before the shot clock expires, leave yourself enough time to get another possession. The idea, though, was Florida won the toss, deferred to the second half. If they could score at the end of the first half, they would have a chance to do so at the beginning of the second half, and that's exactly what they did. They scored on their last two possessions of the first half and their first possession of the second half, and that's kind of where they pushed it out of reach. But, Borky, Florida was never able to completely push it out of reach, and the biggest swing in the game came in the fourth quarter when Ole Miss was finally able to put a little bit of pressure on Kyle Trask, and Momo Sonogo was called for roughing the passer on an incomplete pass that would have given Ole Miss the football back with eight and a half, nine minutes to play in the game, down two scores at that point, and who knows what happens. They were still going to have to score, get a stop, get another score. I mean, there's a lot that would have had to have happened, but it could have made the finish pretty interesting. Yeah, that moment didn't uh, end the game for them, but it did take away any shot that they had at it. And it was an off, I mean, horrendous call. Uh, just not roughing the passer at all. And that ended their shot at the game. But there was a couple of times in there where Ole Miss kind of shot themselves in the foot. And then you had the unfortunate interception. I think it was Drummond over there in the corner who was wide open and the ball gets batted down and it just falls into the lap of another Florida defender. So that was a 14-point swing because Florida took the football, went right down the field and scored. So what would have been a wide-open receiver that Matt Corral did see was throwing the football to led to a batted pass interception Florida touchdown. You mentioned right before the half. Um, that right there was a situation where if you get a first down, they probably wish they wouldn't have given the ball to Tyler Knight on third and one. Probably a, a personnel decision they wish they had back. Mm. There was a, another moment right there. Game was close throughout because Ole Miss got punched in the mouth a few times and they punched right back. Florida, just a better football team with better players than Ole Miss. But they rolled with the punches a little bit and kept themselves in it. And that was pretty impressive, all things considered. You you might think I'm crazy for this statement, but, but I don't think it's completely crazy. In a game that featured 1,250 yards of combined offense and 86 points, had one quarterback throw for just shy of 400 yards, another quarterback go for over 400 yards with six touchdowns, and included a tight end who is a freak of nature and had four touchdown catches in the game. The best player on the field on Saturday was a defensive player. Number 51 for Florida, Ventrell Miller, had 15 total tackles, including 13 solo stops, a sack, and two tackles for loss. I'm not sure that game plays out exactly the way it did, if not for Ventrell Miller defensively and what he brought to the table for Florida. He was. It felt like he was in on every single important defensive play in the game for Florida. All of them. Mm-hmm. And that aforementioned third down stop that got Florida the ball back right before the half and they went down the field and scored. That was his. Now, the size difference between he and the ball carrier were pretty significant, but that was his play right there that got the ball back and really took control of the game right before the half. All right, so if you're an Ole Miss fan, how do you feel today? Are you wildly optimistic? Are you cautiously optimistic? 
Do you think, oh, no, it's more of the same? I, I am curious. Here are the numbers. Florida ran... Uh, I don't have the total number of plays. Yeah, here it is. 74 plays for 642 yards, an average of 8.7 yards per play. That's a lot. Ole Miss ran 78 plays in the game, four more than Florida, for 613 total yards of offense, and they averaged 7.9 yards per play. That's also a lot. I thought the play calling for about 85 to 90% of the game was not only creative, but was spectacular. The, the sequence in the second quarter where Plumley comes in to play quarterback, that did not go well. The opening drive was crazy for, for Ole Miss, where they had Corral and Plumley on the field, and it was a, you know, a bunch of different stuff. Just a bunch of different stuff happened on that drive. But that was kind of a that was a, a scripted scenario out of the gate, and then they didn't really do much of that. Matt Corral played well. He didn't play perfect, but he played well. He was 22 of 31 for 395 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. And I only remember one throw in the entire game where it was like, ugh. And that was a throw where he was pressured and he was kind of moving diagonally to his right toward the line of scrimmage. And he had a wide-open receiver, but it was a hard throw, and he got all out of whack on his mechanics. It was kind of that three-quarter arm delivery slot where he kind of reverted back to some old mechanics and didn't have his feet set, and he just couldn't get it there. And that was kind of with three defenders spread out around a receiver. It was open. But I thought that was the only bad throw that he made in the game. He was accurate with the deep ball. May have underthrown a couple of the deep balls, to be perfectly honest, but through catchable balls, and then on the short passes, he was really accurate. He showed you what we've spent the last year talking about. I mean, that, that's what we were talking about last year, where, where some people got upset with us because uh, we spent the entire season really saying that an offense of this style is not going to work in the SEC and that dismissing Matt Corral right now is a, a bad idea. We spent all summer talking about it, where... Everybody nationally was, oh, Plumlee's back and Ole Miss is going to run the football and it's going to be great. And we were, the, the local people here were the only ones saying, hey, they've got this kid who's really talented. He was in a system last year that didn't fit him, and he was also a freshman playing a year ago. All of this skill set is there. The arm strength, and you saw it on Saturday, is there. I mean, that third and 19 throw, it was just a rocket. I mean, the kid's got, yeah, it was. Ar- kids got arm talent for days. All it, all it took was... Uh, a scheme that fit him, and obviously he has improved from, you mentioned decision-making. Uh, Kiffin said in the press conference today he wants him to get better with his footwork, but it was a far cry from what you saw last year. And he looked calm and comfortable, and you may remember differently. I don't remember, aside from the throw you mentioned, that it wasn't a good pass, but I don't remember a bad decision. Yeah, and that no, I'm, was, with I'm with you. That was kind of his thing last year was erratic decision-making and rushed throws. He looked calm and comfortable, and I don't remember a mistake throw. Kyle Trask was exceptional. And in any scenario where there's not a quarterback in the SEC that goes out and throws for how many, hey, Dad? 
Uh, 623 yards. If there's not a quarterback that goes out and throws for 623 yards, Kyle Trask runs away with offensive player in the week in the SEC because he was 30 of 42 for 416 yards with six touchdowns and no interceptions. He actually, because of a fewer number of incompletions and no interceptions, he actually had a higher quarterback rating than K.J. Costello had in the game. But the, the Costello numbers were just eye-popping, and there's no way you do anything but give him the um, you, you give him that award this week. Here's the thing. You talked about Matt Corral not making any bad decisions. Kyle Trask did not make a single bad decision in the game. Oh, no. He was wildly accurate. And maybe that sounds like an oxymoron. Steve Spurrier, when he was at Florida, was kind of, he was kind of the guy that brought the back shoulder fade into college football. And you don't see many teams that throw a back shoulder fade anymore. You know, where you just get a one-on-one matchup on the outside and you just throw a fade to the back shoulder and the receiver goes up and high points it and catches it. They made a living with that at Florida. Kyle Trask on Saturday, in perfect rhythm with his receivers, made a living with the back shoulder rocket. There was no fade to it. It was stuff that he threw on a rope. A couple of touchdown passes that way. You know, questionable, should there have been push-off calls, whatever. I mean, I don't call that much in college football anymore. And if you've got receivers that are really good, they're not going to call it. Trask was outstanding. We'll be right back. Hey, Dan, Mississippi State's game didn't kick off until 2.30, so I'm assuming you were able to watch most of the Ole Miss game leading into the uh, start of the Bulldogs and the Tigers. What, what did you think watching Ole Miss and Florida on Saturday? I thought they looked a lot like I thought they would look. I thought they'd be much better and much more organized offensively. Corral, you, you can see the arm talent with him. I don't know about the haircuts ideas, but the, 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 the arm talent is definitely definitely there. I like what they're doing with uh, with Plumlee. They gotta move, they're going to move him around. That works. Um, Jayon Ely is a great player, a great great running back. He, he's going to get a lot of yards this year in that system. But defensively, they got a lot of questions, you know, and then they, they've got to find a way – it seemed like what we were talking about with Mississippi State sort of came true for Ole Miss in that I don't think they got a lot of pass rush and they didn't None. get a lot of coverage either. So if you can't do both, you got to find one that you're good at. Yeah. State had some trouble with coverage, but I felt like they got pass rush. They got seven sacks. Uh, you, you know, you'll, you'll trade off that. Um, Ole Miss has got to find one or the other. They need to be better in the secondary or better up front, or it's going to be a long year. I mean, if you see Kyle Trask throwing for 400 yards and you think, okay, Alabama – and Mississippi State and, and LSU can still throw the ball. I mean, it could be a longer year than, than you want on that side of the ball. I asked for some reactions from you on Ole Miss. Here are uh, some of them. Kind of thought the offense would be good, but the defense has got to be better, and I know that starts with the recruiting. I mean, that's from Brad in Burnsville. And, I mean, outside of potentially getting a decision on Otis Reese that is beneficial to the Ole Miss defense. And that's going to be the biggest way they get better. I, I will say that it felt like Ole Miss's defense just got beat in some critical situations more than they blew coverages 
or they were out of position, or they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And, and so at least if fundamentally you are sound and schematically you are sound, maybe you put yourself in a position to make some plays against teams that don't have maybe the best tight end in America, maybe the maybe against a team that doesn't have a top five quarterback nationally. He's up there. Uh, there aren't going to be many offenses that have Florida's personnel remaining on their schedule. But it's—I had a buddy text me asking about the scheme. Like, uh, why did they get a new coordinator when McIntyre was so good last year? And my response was simply, "Man, you can't scheme out of talent issues." And that's kind of—that's what they got right now. Florida had better Jimmys and Joes than Ole Miss, and the way to solve the issue that you saw Saturday is to recruit out of it. And there's just not a whole lot that they could have done uh, from a coaching side of things because there was a couple of times where guys were in the right position to make plays and they they just couldn't do it. There was a moment where Lakia Henry was just half a second late that would would have been a third down stop and it led to a first down. It's those kind of things. And he's not a bad linebacker. It's maybe not the best example. But there were multiple times in the game where better players would have made plays. And Ole Miss on the defensive side is lacking quality defensive players in a handful of spots, and that's going to lead to giving up some points this year. The answer is recruiting. It's not scheme. They'll do some things and make some adjustments, and they won't see a team as good as Florida for a while, I guess outside of Alabama. But there's not many on the schedule. they got to recruit out of this problem. On the second play of the second half where Florida went up top to Kyle Pitts, that was a, a, a scenario where you had a veteran quarterback who went to the line of scrimmage, looked at the defense that was out out there, audibled, got a one-on-one favorable matchup with a linebacker against Kyle Pitts, and then took advantage of it. And then Pitts just ran away from people. You know, he, he, he is a, and I don't mean this as a shot, because I think he was just outstanding in college. But Kyle Pitts is a better version of Evan Ingram. He, he, he is a bigger version of, of Evan Ingram. 6'6", 240. NFL teams are salivating over the idea of Kyle Pitts, especially with the evolution of the tight end position in the NFL. I mean, he is an NFL tight end yep. that will be productive next year. Yeah. Period. And let's give Dan Mullen his due, right? One of the best offensive minds in all of college football. Yeah, well, yeah. And continues to show that he is one of, if not the best developer at the quarterback position over multiple years. Kyle Trask had a really good season a year ago. Really good season. Incredibly efficient. After not starting a game as a high school football player at quarterback. Yeah, numbers game and whatnot. Yeah, the starter in front of him in high school is doing pretty good right now for Miami. Not bad. But a year knowing that Kyle Trask is his guy under Dan Mullen, he was locked in. Mentally, he was sharp. He's got the arm strength to make all the throws. 
timing was outstanding. I mean, it was it was a clinic. And Dan Mullen deserves a ton of credit for that. Sports Talk Mississippi, winners and losers coming up next. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, and Brian Haydad. I lied to you before the break. I told you winners and losers was coming up. We're going to press pause on that for just a bit and go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Steve Gent joins us right now. He's the executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship, which is coming up this week in Jackson. Like everything in 2020, the golf tournament this year is going to look different. It's going to feel a little bit different. And one way that it's going to feel different, never mind spectators for a second, it's going to have the best field ever. And, it's Steve, it feels like we're doing the same thing we did a year ago where we talk about the best field ever, but you guys have been able to kind of up the ante once again. It's really impressive. Well, it, it, I mean, we, we're just thrilled. And I, I know you said you were going to put a pause on your winners and losers thing, but I think we'll just talk about winners here. Um, yeah, the field's really, really good, and I think part of that has to do with kind of everyone's hard work and effort into turning this into a, a great event, um, you know, that a lot of pros are, are finding out about because now they have the chance to come here um, that we're not opposite another tournament. So, it, yeah, I think it's part of this field or this year, this crazy year, that a lot of guys just didn't get to play in the spring because 11 tournaments are either postponed or canceled. Yeah, so I think we're we're kind of seeing the benefit of a little bit of that. But they're, you know, I talked to Roberto Castro the other day, who who is not in the field this week, but he said he was talking to Stuart Sink on the range and Safeway, and Stuart said, you know, I think guys are figuring out that hey, you know, Jackson is a hidden gem on the tour, and it's a really good tournament to go play. Steve, I mean, th- this is probably not a short or a simple answer, but I'm curious how this has happened B- because the the history of this golf tournament at multiple golf courses over a really long period of time is good, but it's been plagued by, at times, bad dates, at times, bad weather, being opposite other big events. There have been a lot of things that have caused it to not necessarily be able to take a step. And yet, even with some of those obstacles removed, tournaments don't always kind of ascend to the next level. So what is it about the Sanderson's Farms Championship that has allowed it to really take that next step or maybe that next handful of steps? Yeah, you know, there's there's only one answer to that, and I'll make it short. It's Joe Sanderson and Sanderson Farms. Um, okay. When Joe and his team, you know, stepped in to be the title sponsor of this back in 2014, um, their commitment to turning this into one of the top events on the PGA Tour is second to none. And they, you know, we already had some good local support, Joe came in and with a lot of his business partners and vendors really got this, you know, got this thing going in a, in a, in a super direction uh, with his team and everything. And we're able to pull in some more support. Um, and then when he signed a 10 year extension after the 2016 event, um, that gives us a lot of stability long-term and, you know, and then two years ago when Joe and his team stepped up and are creating, you know, giving the financial resources to allow us to be a standalone event on the PGA Tour. So we're not opposite anyone. 500 FedEx points to the winner. Um, you know, it, it's just having a title sponsor like Sanderson Farms makes all the difference in the world. A great title sponsor on the PGA Tour makes all the difference. And, you know, everyone's on this team that's on our team is doing a great job. The Country Club of Jackson um is is a phenomenal been a phenomenal partner stanley reedy 
and his superintendents have turned this golf course into something that's, you know, really talked about on the PGA Tour. And then what we've been able to do for charity um, with, you know, having a great golf course, having a great title sponsor, having great sponsors come in that allows us to do what we've been able to do for charity. You know, the pieces have just kind of come together. It's really sort of been the perfect storm. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think we're only going to see better and better fields in this tournament taken off from there. You mentioned two things that I, I would like for you to go a little bit deeper on. Um, Children's of Mississippi, uh, Batson uh, Children's Hospital, Children's of Mississippi, the charity, Century Club, all the, the work that goes into that. That's a pretty important piece. And I know there are a lot of good charities across the PGA Tour, and the amount of money that's raised for charity across the country is, is staggering. But this one is is really, really special, and I know the the – community has taken just a huge ownership piece in seeing that side of it continue to grow. Yeah, it, I mean, again, it goes back to great sponsors allow us to raise a lot of money um, in order to to give a lot of money, right? And, you know, Joe and his team and everyone here has become very passionate about Friends of Children's Hospital and Batson, and um, we've been able to go up and up and up each year. Obviously, it gets harder and harder, right? It is it is harder to set a new bar, but for some reason, we've been able to do it. And, you know, $1.3 million last year to, to Children's. And then, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is we do about another $300,000 to about 30 or 40 other Mississippi charities, groups like, you know, Make-A-Wish and Stew Pot and the Mustard Seed and Canopy and First Tea. I mean, I, and I, I hate to go on and on because I'm going to leave somebody out. But this tournament supports a lot of good, you know, efforts in our community. And for some reason, we've just been able to, you know, to get better every year. And, um, you know, we're just uh, we're just blessed and fortunate to, to be able to do it. You also mentioned the golf course. Two years ago yeah. when Cameron Champ wins and kind of overpowered it a little bit, it was it was 21 under. Last year, Sebastian Munoz at, at 18 under. Those are, are, are really good scores, but they're not the, you know, 25, 26, 27 under does this golf course stand up the way that it needs to be to be a really good competitive PGA Tour venue? Talking about Country Club of Jackson. Yeah, I think so. You know, I know, I know everybody talks about the U.S. Open being the one tournament, you know, a tournament that always tries to protect par. We're not trying to protect anything out here. A lot of it, you're at the mercy of the weather, right? And we were yeah. just talking today about how in 2014 um, we had a we had a frost and a cold snap coming on Thursday. You know that you know that makes the grass not grow in the greens you know, um, get pretty quick. Uh, 2015 was so wet. I mean, guys are playing, you know, ball in hand and, it, and the greens are you know, soft, but they're, it, they're just able to kind of pick the place apart. But there's not a, there's not a score we're really intended to, but I think, you know, Ryan Armour won three years ago. Ryan Armour is, you know, let's just say Ryan's not the longest hitter on the PGA tour. And then the next That's year, fair. Cameron Champ, Cameron Champ <laughs> wins, right? So it's not a golf course. It's a, that's a, a bomber course, you know, or a, it's not a, you know, it's not a Tory Pines to bomber or a Hilton head is to, you know, the guys that like to, you know, really kind of work the ball. Anyone can win out here. And there, we've done a lot of course improvements over the last few years. I mean, a complete bunker redo two years ago, the club did this past year, we installed uh, new irrigation systems in the landing areas and all the fours and fives that will allow the fairways uh, to play a lot firmer, but allow the rough to be, developed uh, better and then you know and then everybody talks about our greens so i think it's a golf it's a, it's certainly at the second shot golf course right and it's just where you place your ball in the greens and how well you putt and um 
you know, it's just it's one that anyone can win on any given week. Steve Jen, executive director of the uh, Sanderson Farms Championship on your radio, on the Farm Bureau phone line. This is uh, this is tournament week, and this is kind of the culmination of a lot of work. I was looking back at the, the leaderboard from last year. Obviously, Munoz the winner. But beyond that, I mean, Sungjae went on to have a great year. Uh, ben On went on to have a great uh, great year. Kevin Streelman had a really good season. Harris English, <laughs> really good season. And on yeah. and on, kind of when you look at the top 20, are, are guys looking – at this tournament in particular as a springboard into this, I mean, it's not new anymore, the wraparound schedule, but the, the start of the 21 season? Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to say, hey, do you guys look at this as the springboard for a career? You know, because we, we were on a streak where every, the past six winners are, are first-time winners on the PGA Tour. And if we, we'll set a record this year if we get another first-time winner. Oh, wow. Um, I, I think so. I think with the, with the FedEx Cup wraparound season, and us being a part of the beginning of that, um, I think guys are placing more and more emphasis on getting a good start in the fall. And you mentioned Harris, right? So Harris made the top 30 in Atlanta. And if they, if you're top 30 FedEx Cup points and you get to the Tour Championship, it opens up a lot of doors for the following season to you. All the majors, all the World Golf Championships, all the invitationals. So, and I think this year guys saw the, you know, we didn't know last fall about COVID-19, you know, being around the corner. And, but I think the guys that benefited um, they were the one, you know, for the finals in Atlanta, you know, were the ones that got out early in the fall and got kind of ahead of the points. I mean, you mentioned Sungjae, right? Rookie of the year last year. Um, he makes it to Atlanta. Sebastian Munoz has a great, great season. Um, I think we're, at, I think we're in a perfect spot on the fall schedule. You know, we're not the first out of the gate, but we're not kind of, we're not too close, um, you know, to the middle of it. I think we're in a great spot. I think guys, I think we're an easy spot to get to. Uh, Jackson and Mississippi, we have a great reputation for places to stay, great restaurants. Um, you know, we treat the players really well. Everybody, listen, everybody treats these guys great week in and week out. Yeah. But, you know, we try to be hospitable. We try to treat them well. And I think I think it's a good tournament for guys to either start their year or to, to add to their schedule now. And the money doesn't hurt. $1.188 million to the winner. Anytime you've got a seven-figure first-place prize, that's uh, pretty attractive as well. Steve, I, yeah, I wish you great weather this week. Yeah, No, no, not bad at all. We, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. we wish you great weather this week. Looks like the uh, forecast is pretty good to go along with a great field. No, it's going to feel a little different with no spectators. Congratulations in advance to you and everybody you. involved with the Sanderson Farms Championship on what uh, we anticipate will be a fantastic week. Tell everybody, watch on television, buy your all-in for children's masks. We still have a TV. We still want our TV ratings up, so watch us on TV as we uh, showcase Mississippi to the world. So uh, it's going to be a great week. Thank you. That's Steve Gent joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be right back. with Steve Gent. He's the executive director of the Sanderson Farms Championship and great week coming up. Fantastic field golf course in fantastic condition. Wish we could be there all week, as has been the case in years past, but tournament going to go on. You can watch the uh, coverage on the uh, on the Golf Channel and uh, certainly can still support that by uh, buying your Sanderson Farms Championship Champions for Children mask. Still going to need those for a little while, a little while longer. 
All right, this is what we do on Mondays. We bring you winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, winners and losers from the weekend. I'll just start out with the uh, the awards list for Mississippi State. K.J. Costello, Walter Camp, National Offensive Player of the Week. Davey O'Brien, National Offensive Player of the Week. The Manning Award, Star of the Week. SEC Offensive Player of the Week. And, oh, by the way, Mississippi State named as the National Team of the Week after their 44-34 win over LSU on Saturday afternoon in Baton Rouge, in which K.J. Costello set an SEC single-game passing record with 623 yards through the air. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. We took Costello. I'll go to the other Sorry. side of the ball. It's all right. No, I, I got plenty of options. Uh, I'll go with Zach Arnett, because that's a guy that, you know, we talked to him on Wednesday, and listening to him talk, I thought, this is a guy who knows his defense is in trouble. I think I, I could just hear it in his voice. But <laughs> I guess he's a good actor because he came up with a scheme that worked. He got seven sacks. He continually harassed Miles Brennan. Uh, he was able to slow down the LSU rushing game, and he, and he made them look you know, not great. Not great at all. Definitely you know, not the same LSU we were expecting to see. Um, if State can play defense like that all year long, they're going to have a chance to win a lot more games than they lose this year, and that's a guy who you know State will be be doing well to keep him in, into the future because he's going to have some some big time opportunities just just from one game. Obviously, it's just a short small sample size, but looked really really good on Saturday. And it's not a super conventional defense. It's that three three five. He was with Rocky Long at uh, at San Diego State. Who was it that we were talking to about that last week? Was that was it was it Bruce Marshall? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce brought that up. Yeah, um, so he was he was fascinated by uh, where they were going defensively with uh, with that. Borky, give me a winner. So we've talked a lot about Mississippi State and their big win, uh, Ole Miss, and at least there's some optimism, some obvious growth in coaching ability. Uh, Southern Miss did not have uh, a weekend that is uh, worth. Well, writing home about. So I'm going to throw them a bone, though. Nick Mullins, former Southern Miss quarterback, takes over for the injured Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday, throws for 343 yards, 25 of 36, a touchdown, and a convincing win over the New York Giants, who are terrible, but Nick Mullins going to be in the league for a long time filling in this role right here. So a big day for him, and he's a winner. I like it. Um... I mean, in terms of the individual performers in the SEC, there were a bunch of good ones. And for a year in which we go, well, I'm not sure about the quarterback play. Well, you had Costello throw for 623. You had Kyle Trask. And by the way, somebody earlier sent Trask top five QB nationally, LOL. Maybe he's not top five nationally. He's certainly top ten nationally. But if we're just basing it off of performances so far this season, solely based on what you've seen on the field, 
I mean, Trevor Lawrence is everybody's number one. That's fine. We think Justin Fields is going to be there when Ohio State rolls out. Um, I'd be, Trask is his his performance on Saturday kind of stands on its own. Well, and that's after what he did a year ago, which was really really good. I would like to hear that texture's top five. Maybe Trask isn't in there, but. That guy was exceptional last year and then obviously carried it over against not a good defense, but still carried it over into 2020. Name me four better. Yeah. But in terms of the quarterback play, it's pretty darn good this weekend. Costello was good. Trask was good. Corral was good. And despite his numbers, I didn't think Brennan was great. Jarrett Garantano at times was good. Mac Jones didn't throw it much. Alabama completely throttled it down in the second half, and Bryce Young played some in that game. But Mac Jones, in the time that he played, 18 of 24, a couple of touchdown passes, 249 yards. That's pretty efficient. Bo Nix was okay. Stetson Bennett, the fourth, rescued Georgia in the second half against Missouri. There ever been a more Georgia name for a quarterback? Stetson Bennett. The fourth. This is going to be something we're going to have to talk about this week, though, because JT Daniels is going to be cleared to play. So he was was cleared. He's been cleared. Yeah. So what Has do you been do? Cleared. What do you do? Because you're not. You go to JT Daniels. Do you though? Because <laughs> he got not, beat yeah, out. But he he got beat out by the kid that sucked on Saturday. Did he get beat out? He just wasn't cleared. I think he would have started. The the word around Saturday. Georgia camp was it doesn't matter if he gets cleared or not because he's not starting. The, well, let me tell you who's Georgia not the answer. Jamie Georgia. Newman was going to be the starting quarterback too. So, well, he was before he chose to opt out, and they clearly DeJuan missed. Mathis was not the answer. No, they clearly missed Jamie Newman on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, you got another winner, hey Dad? We'll go. We'll go uh, off the college football beat. You know, as much as was going on Saturday, I didn't really get a chance to watch it too closely. But my Los Angeles Lakers will play for their 17th World Championship. I was hoping the Celtics could make the party so that this, the Lakers could take it off of them. But uh, we'll, we'll settle for the Heat, I guess. Should be a really good series. The Heat are playing really well. Uh, but I think the Lakers are going to uh, be celebrating under a under a confetti-filled bubble in just a few days. Okay. Borky, you got another winner? Yeah. A um, little unconventional, but South Carolina fans... So I don't know how much of South Carolina, Tennessee you guys got to watch, but Williams-Brice was appropriately socially distanced with a very small capacity number, and those people were in it, man. They They were. They created an atmosphere that actually felt like the stadium was full. If you had your eyes closed watching the game, you would have thought that the stadium was full. It was awesome to see that. They are the most underrated fans in atmosphere probably in all of college football. And 25% capacity made a real atmosphere, unfortunately, in a loss. But they deserve a ton of credit for, for creating a real atmosphere in these times. Didn't let Will I'll be interested break to their s- spirit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tennessee's going to have a home game on Saturday coming up, and they've got reason to be excited. They've now won seven in a row, going back to the six straight to end last season. And then... Um, uh, well, maybe we should talk a little bit more about South Carolina. Let, 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 let's switch to losers in just a second. But just finishing that thought, I mean, just shy of 14,000 in Oxford, I thought it was it was okay. 
I mean, it, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't packed. Nowhere was packed on Saturday. But in terms of the atmosphere, people stayed for the entire game. It's amazing said, what hey. an interesting and innovative offense does for fan support. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, if you went that to that this game. last year wasn't interesting. I, it, was well, interesting. it was interesting, all right. It was something. But uh, I felt like you got that in a bunch of places where, you know, folks are just kind of doing the best they can. It Let's, felt normal um, watching on TV. I know you had a very different perspective, but watching on television, like just the ambient sound and stuff, felt like you were watching a normal college football game. And it didn't feel fake with a bunch of piped-in noise either. No. Mm-mm. Right. So, uh, let's flip over to losers for a second. And maybe Peter, 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 going back to when you started playing seventh-grade football, on a punt, ball bouncing around, everybody else, Peter, 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 which means get away. Nobody, Nobody yelled that yell to... The guy from South Carolina who going down to cover or, you know, South Carolina fielding a punt kind of gets blocked into it, hits his leg. Tennessee recovers ball game. I've never heard that be called for the, for the punt. Oh, really? That's what we used. Yeah. It was Peter. We said fire. Really? Yeah. The decision before that, though, I think was more baffling. I mean, you're down a touchdown. It's 4th and 12, which makes it a little dicey, but you're down a touchdown. And it was at the 28-yard line South Carolina was on. Three minutes to go in the game. Muschamp kicks a field goal to turn a one-touchdown game into a one-touchdown game and takes an opportunity opportunity away from his team to get that touchdown in the process. Baffling decision. By the way, we will get to the results of our picks a little bit later. Michael Borky gloating in the game notes, and yet his math a bit off. Uh, then your math is a bit the off. Results. Oh, I, I typed them in as we were doing them the other you day. You typed them in wrong because I smoked you guys. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. All right, you have lit up the C Spire text line with your winners and losers from the weekend, and it's time for us to share them. Winners, Mississippi State and Nick Foles. Nick Foles came off the bench, three touchdown passes, resurrected the Bears, who were down 26-10, to to help them get a 30-26 to victory. And once again, the Atlanta Falcons cough up a second-half double-digit lead to fall to 0-3 on the year. Losers, Southern Miss, and the NFC East, which is a combined 2-9-1. and one. That is from Terry in Greenwood. This from I'm a Southern Miss fan, winner Mississippi State, loser Southern Miss. Gibbon Greenwood goes with winner LSU rush defense. Loser, LSU pass defense. <laughs> winner from Greg in Columbus, Mississippi State's receiving core. Of which you would include Kylan Hill, who is a running back. Outstanding job on Saturday. Greg says, I know it's one game, but it's how State played as a team. Called me old school. Not one time did I see one State player showboating or trash-talking back and forth with the other team or themselves. They were focused, and it showed from beginning to end. Go, dogs, go. Second winner. My goodness, did you see the show Jeffrey Simmons put on against the Vikings in the second half? especially those last few minutes of the game. He was in the backfield more than the Viking quarterback or running backs. 
That's coming from guys from uh, that a uh, guy that was an inside defensive lineman. He's special. What a motor he's got. Wow, Jeffrey Simmons, a winner. That's from Greg and Nettleton. Thanks, Greg. Um, somebody says, I was looking forward to hearing about State versus LSU on my commute home today. Well, we spent the first half hour of the show, and we'll spend more time on that, but there are other topics. Um, here's one. Loser, Ole Miss and Florida for bringing politics into sports. So... I was told right before kickoff that there would be a penalty for a delay of game on Florida and Ole Miss would decline the penalty and it would have happened the exact same way in the other direction if Ole Miss had kicked the ball off to Florida to start the game. It was predetermined by the two teams that they would all take a knee in solidarity, both teams, It was a brief display that lasted about 15 seconds. Whistle blew, flag came out, penalty was declined, kickoff game started. I didn't think that was overly political. They did nothing that was disrespectful to the flag, to the national anthem, or anything else. Clearly there is a cause, a number of causes, that were important to the players of those two teams. They decided to do it in advance. Didn't really bother anybody, but in in terms of it didn't affect anybody with the game, but there were some fans. I didn't think the in-stadium reaction was bad. I mean, there were some people that weren't really paying attention. There might have been a few scattered boos, but it was very scattered. And then the game started. I didn't really think anybody thought about it after that. Winner, Ole Miss in Florida for doing it in a way that didn't disrespect the anthem or the flag. I didn't like it, but I can live with it being done that way. Wish the NFL would follow their example if they insist on keeping politics in their game. So, kind of a balanced text there in terms of winners and losers. Will and Eupora, loser. Hashtag always run, never pass. Those days are over. Winner. Never to be seen again. Joe Burrow, eight sacks and still threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. He just needs a team around him. Hammy and Hattiesburg, all SEC fans are winners, even though my Tigers didn't win. We had football. Amen and amen. Winners. Kurt Bush for a hometown clutch win in NASCAR and have to put my boys in for getting the dub at LSU, Hale State. Losers. Oklahoma for letting Kansas State come from behind. And the Eagles for a tie with the Bengals. And the NFL for allowing ties in football. And the Eagles played for that tie. Yeah. Yeah. Electing to punt. I mean, it's a very improbable field goal, but as time's expiring, you punt the football away? Kick the ball. What do you have to lose? It comes up short, so what? That was gross. Got to put... uh. Sean Payton on the losers list here somewhere, don't we? Did did you see the stare down he gave to somebody during his press conference today? I didn't see that, so, but he deserves to be stared down because the decision to to bring in Taysom Hill and run that play when you're you're just moving the chains it, at that point in the game, foolishness. Yeah, Breeze finally looked comfortable. The offense yeah. was flowing. You were moving. 
But, man, the, so the defense has been awful. I think it was Dennis, Dennis Allen. Either way, he gets asked at the press conference, you know, Coach, why is it uh, the, uh, the play-action rollout that the Packers did so difficult for you to stop? He said, well, it shouldn't be, but we made it that way, didn't we? And he turns and looks to his left at somebody. So all the reporters are on Zoom, so it's not the reporter that asked the question. He turned to his left and just stared, like just death stare into somebody as he's mm-hmm. answering that question. Dennis Allen must have been sitting there. Had to have been him sitting right there. Mike in Oxford, winner Kansas State, loser Army for not kicking a, a field goal at the end of the game to give me a backdoor cover. <laughs> Voters who dropped Louisiana from the top 25 are losers. He's talking about Lafayette, not LSU. They keep winning, and yet they dropped out of the poll. Come on. Uh, He also says the Ole Miss staff is another winner for unleashing Mac Brown to do what he does best. I agree with that. Mac Brown was just okay as a punter last year. but He was asked to do something that he had never really done and didn't do particularly well, and that was you know the the whole run-out, ha-ha-ha-ha, rugby-style kick. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a punter, and he punts the heck out of it. Average 49 yards a punt on Saturday and still didn't really give up any return yards in the punt game. Loser, Borky Saints. Those are also Haydad Saints. Uh, let's see here. Giants are losers not getting in. What did he say a couple weeks ago? It was 73% chance. Oops. Oh, yeah. Loser, the Saints defense lost in the game and provided minus three points in fantasy. Thanks. That's from John in Oxford. <laughs> you might want to trade that defense for somebody else's. Yeah, just just pick somebody else up. Adam in Baldwin says, loser and then a winner. DK Metcalf. Yeah. Yep. So comes back with a pretty big play, but pretty bonehead play early in the game. I was set to talk about him as the loser until he made the, he made the game-winning touchdown. I was like, well, never mind. A little redemption. Speaking of losers, did you see the end of the Vanderbilt AM game? Uh, no. I do yes. not have yeah, the alternate the very... channel, as I've learned. Uh, so that's going to be a problem for me Saturday. Looks like I'm looking up some pirated streams. I mean, my friend is going to uh, do that, you definitely. Be able, you can just watch it on Watch ESPN. I tried. I can't do it because my package doesn't carry it or whatever. It's stupid. Uh, uh, hmm. But apparently. Uh, a ref threw a flag that ended the game basically on Derek Mason for running on the field to call a timeout. Now, if that is accurate, if that is what happened, that ref is a loser because we're wearing everybody's wearing masks and stuff. Have a moment of common sense. If all the reporters that said that it happened that way, if it happened that way, being the guy to end the game because the coach entered the field to call a timeout, you're a loser. And you shouldn't have an impact on the game like that. That that ref is a loser? Yes. Well, all of them. But that one in particular. Yeah. Just have a moment of common sense. This guy's trying to call a timeout. The game's on the line. Do I really want to end the game here and take his team's chance to win the game away from them right now because he took the field to call a timeout? Do I really want to do that? And apparently his answer was yes. Congratulations, sir. You won. We haven't really said it, but USM has got to be a loser on this one. They were up fourteen to nothing, and they lost sixty-six to twenty-four. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, four hundred yards rushing to Tulane. Oh, winner Mike Leach on his comment about playing the defending national champ said they played LSU because the Patriots, Packers, and Chiefs weren't available. Yeah, I think that yeah, was the line post game. 
Yeah. And then went on to say, yes, yeah, this day's been better than average. He's, he's had a good day today between that and the, the bandwagon video that MSU released today, which was hilarious. And then the uh, he just had a, a little uh, back and forth with the New York Times about wearing a mask uh, that was that's getting uh, a lot of play right now. So yeah, uh, Culver says Matt Corral is a winner, highest QBR in the SEC this past weekend, and he says he needs to be credit because I don't know. I guess he predicted that. Um, let's see here, Kevin Winter Dontario Drummond. Dontario Drummond made the best play I have ever seen on a double pass that goes to a wide receiver. That was so a many great times play. when you throw it to a wide receiver on a double pass, it ends up looking clunky, and they make a bad throw or they force it. Drummond catches the ball, has a defender coming at him, gives not a shoulder fake, but a full-on ball fake, arm going forward, pulls it down, slides to his left, and then throws a frozen rope where he hits the receiver in stride. I think that's the best double pass I've seen in a high-level game situation ever. Dontario Drummond also had a couple of touchdown catches. Big game for him. of others because so many came in today in terms of winners. Gavin in Starkville says, speaking of redemption, winner Elijah Moore. He was always a good player. He just had that one moment of lunacy. Yeah, you're right. And what's crazy is you probably had a better perspective on the field, but it looked like at times Florida was even trying to bracket him a little bit and make somebody else beat them, and he still got open. It's not like Corral was throwing balls into double coverage and he was just coming down with them with freak plays. The dude was just getting open against what's probably going to be the second best secondary he'll see all season long. Now, Florida did lose arguably its best player in the secondary, what, 10 plays into the game with the uh, ridiculous targeting penalty. That was dumb. Nobody got to see how it got to fourth down, by the way, the one they the one they went for. Oh uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. After the targeting, and I mean you want to talk back about and that it, was four, it was fourth down. It's like Jeez. How did we get here? Look, they I was standing on the back the red line. Hat guy. I was standing on the back line of the north end zone looking to the south. The guy who stands on the field with the red hat and the big billboard with the like digital countdown clock on it. He was standing where he always stands. And I was yelling at the back judge. I was like, hey. I whistled at him. I was like, you got a TV guy on the field on first down. Didn't do anything. Yelled at him again on second down. Before the third play, that's when they find, or I guess it was after the third play, where they finally recognize. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll stop the game. I'm like, oh, this Mike could have used a little bit more time to think about that little three-play sequence they just ran. So I whose fault it. was it? Was it the guy? The no, it's the referees. Not, I mean, it's the it's officials', the officials for... fault. Who else's fault would it be? Not Who else true. screws things up? Yeah, I'm so no, glad it was not the yeah. officials again. Yeah, but not the redhead official. It was funny though that they showed up. They they flipped the camera over to him. They're like the red hat guy, and he's standing next to like three Ole Miss people, all wearing red hats. And I'm like, which one? I mean, I knew who it was, but still. Yeah. Speaking of, I, I had 
I'm in a, a group message, and a, a lot of people were very frustrated with that going forward on fourth down. I think you learned later in the game why they're inclined to go for it on fourth down. On top of that being something that Kiffin said he was going to do anyway, but you're going to see a lot more of those fourth down, go for it, and plus territory decisions. The The kicking game is unreliable at best. Yep. I mean, it was a 42-yard field goal that didn't quite get there and was about eight feet off to the right. Yeah. It wasn't a hard field goal. And the contrast was part of the issue as well. Evan McPherson from Florida was great. That 55-yarder was money. That's what it, it was looks like in the NFL. 55 that would have been good from 61. He crushed it. Kid's good. Alabama yeah. made field goals. It's a good day for special teams for a lot of teams. Yeah. You, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you want to be part of the conversation, you can. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. What you guys think of the day overall in the NFL yesterday? That was amazing. Yeah. So, some good games. Uh, you know, some games going down to the wire. Some good performances. It just, it's pretty, I felt like it was a pretty typical NFL Sunday, to be honest with you. Nothing stood out as just like, wow. But at the same time, there were some good moments. I thought Dallas-Seattle was an good instant game. classic. When when Dak spun out of that and, I, and he started looking downfield, I was like, this is going to be the biggest hero play of all time. He's going to score a touchdown mm. when he should have been sacked, and instead he throws a pick. I was like, ah. It's like if he had thrown a touchdown there, that's another $5 million a year. Right there. But didn't get it. You've got this yeah. narrative going into tonight that, oh, this is the two best quarterbacks in the NFL, and we're going to find out who's number one. It's Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. And it's like, guys, do you not watch Russell Wilson every week? Guy's incredible. Incredible. That's a guy, Dude. I'll be honest with you, talk about missing the boat. When he was, I was like, that never be a good pro. Like, he's that guy, I don't see it. Oops. Don't, don't, don't hire me as your scout NFL teams. Um, are you excited about Monday Night Football tonight? I mean, I, I get what you're saying about Russell Wilson, who's been spectacular with, with, without question, but. Well, this game's going to be awesome, too. Or it should be. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. It should be. Yeah. Chiefs-Ravens? Yeah. Ravens a favorite in the game? That's big time. That's, that's that's as good a matchup as they could possibly have. Yeah. That's what Monday night football should be every week, right? This is what we want on Monday nights. I think we get Brady on Thursday coming up here, too. I like he. He was... Very good yesterday. But, pretty pretty but, darn good. But hey, he's a bum. It's over. Another Mark Twain reference. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout. College Football Fix is next. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. At Ceasefire, they're always asking the big questions, like why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Other carriers make you sit tight until the next big devices come out, and then maybe, oh, they'll give you a deal on the iPhone you want. You know it, Ceasefire knows it, and we all know that's bull. That's why they're bringing you the best deal on your choice of iPhone today. Whether you're upgrading, adding a new line, or switching from another carrier, this is the deal that you've been holding out for. Simple, straightforward, no big deal. $100 off. Save a Benjamin. Get any iPhone you want. 
$100 off. You can do it online if that's more convenient, cspire.com, or you can stop by and visit with the friendly folks at your local Seaspire store. They're scattered all over the state of Mississippi. $100 off the iPhone that you want right now. No reason to wait. Cspire.com. Again, 601-879-4395. That is the number for the Cspire text line. It is time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. And remember that this is truck month, which means it's your chance to get behind the wheel of an F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years, or maybe the Super Duty. Those are sweet. Or maybe it's the Ford Ranger. Test drive one. It's your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. All right, we talked a lot about Mississippi State and LSU. We will circle back to that shortly. We talked a lot about Ole Miss and Florida. We will circle back to that as well shortly. Let's talk about the rest of the SEC. Alabama 38-19, to not a cover if you're keeping score at home, against Missouri on the road. Bama was really, really impressive in the first half. Most of the third quarter, they slipped a little bit in the um, in the fourth quarter. But Nick Saban seems to have kind of adopted this. Let's go pedal to the metal, and then let's get some guys some game experience. While it still matters, Bryce Young in the game still had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle in there. They wanted him to get some experience throwing the football. Guys, tell me if this is premature, because all I've heard about, you know, Bryce Young is the next in the line of the great Alabama quarterbacks, which we didn't used to always say, but he's the next one, the the five-star, the parade All-American, the blah, 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 blah. He didn't look to me like Tua when Tua stepped on the field, or Jalen when he stepped on the field as a freshman. Agree? Disagree? I mean, I, I thought it was clear that Mac Jones is the guy to be the quarterback of that team. Yeah, and it's first real action, limited sample size, but I think sure. there was a pretty stark difference between the two. I didn't hey, Dad, watch any kinda... of this. I didn't watch any of this game, so I feel like I, I'm, I'm not. I'm sort of talking out of turn here, but just looking at the stat line, nothing's impressive there. I mean, he's just, no. you know, looks like pretty typical mop up duty. And, and you've kind of been predicting the he's the starter by mid October, right? I have. I have. But if Mac Jones plays that efficiently and, and Alabama is going to play that good defensively when they're when they're engaged, it's going to be tough for him to win that job. And is anybody at all shocked that a Nick Saban team navigated COVID and all the weird stuff really well and came out and played and clicked on all cylinders in game one? No question no. about it. No, really not. I will say Alabama's defense looked better than it did a year ago. Granted, it was one game and it was against Missouri. Still an SEC opponent. It's not like it was Western Carolina out there. That's right. You're right. Georgia looked about as bad as you could look for, oh, 35 or so minutes against Arkansas. Credit to the Razorbacks for not going out and getting crushed. I mean, 
The bar is kind of low there when you say it that way. Arkansas led seven to nothing at the end of the first quarter, and it was seven to five at the half. And Arkansas really should have been able to extend the lead before the half. They kind of bungled the end of the half situation, and then it was a different story in the uh, in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean talent prevailed there. Franks is more competent than any quarterback all of the dozen or so that Arkansas played last year. That's true. So they certainly upgraded there. I was more surprised at Georgia's inability to run for a long time. That should be Arkansas's biggest weakness, is especially against Georgia, was the front seven on defense. And Georgia had no success offensively. Now, Mathis was terrible, and they got to hope that Daniel steps in and plays much better. But Georgia could not run the football early against Arkansas. And my question is, do you think that's more of an indictment on Georgia or more of a good look in the direction of Arkansas? I mean, Arkansas looked like a competent football team again. They did. Talent-wise, they're still way behind. Yeah, but I think there's there's a talent deficit that's going to hurt them. But yeah. But from a coaching, sort of what you're saying with Ole Miss, but to a much greater degree because, God, they were so bad a year ago. Uh, they they look like they, they were well coached. They just don't have the horses to compete with just about anybody in the SEC. With eight minutes and 23 seconds to play in the third quarter, Georgia trailed Arkansas 10-5. to And then they kind of turned it on down the stretch. They started running it a little bit better. They started throwing a little bit better. Stetson Bennett fourth did what he needed to do, a couple of touchdown passes. Borky mentioned a second ago, DeJuan Mathis was awful. He was 8 of 17 for 55 yards and an interception. Off the bench, Stetson Bennett went 20 of 29 for 211 and two touchdowns. Um, The Saturday night game was fun. Tennessee, South Carolina. Tennessee wins that game 31-27. Jarrett Garantano up and down. At times looked great. At times did not look great. It's kind of his MO. Yeah, Tennessee at times looked explosive. At times they looked great running the football. Tennessee's now won seven in a row. And I saw somebody point out that two years ago, Tennessee does not win that football game last night. I agree with that. And early last season, they probably don't win that football game. Oh, they didn't. But they are learning as a team how to win. And this was another step in the right direction. Chandler's a good back. I like him. He is. He is. They have they have Missouri this week. They can be two and zero when they play Georgia. You talk about learning to win and gaining confidence. They might have a shot there. Very conservative on the other side. South Carolina's offense is very uninspiring. Is that tell you what else was uninspiring? Any shape of of the word from the coach who said, "I don't like to go tempo." Come on. The other thing that was uninspiring was Texas A and M. Oh, Ugh. now credit to Vanderbilt. People were talking about Vander- Vanderbilt being historically bad. They may be when it's all said and done. They may not continue to play as hard as they did. Derek Mason, a few weeks ago, went off on some radio host who said this guy's going to be the starting quarterback, and said he thought he got it, but he was wrong. Turned out he was right. That was the starting quarterback. <laughs> A&M led 7-3 after the first quarter. It was 7-5 at halftime. Aggies pushed it out to 14-5 before Vandy cut into it. 
and it was 14 to 12. And then a field goal with 14 minutes to play made it 17 to 12, and that was the final. Kellen Mond, 17 of 28 for 189 and a touchdown. A&M does not win that game without Isaiah Spiller. The comment I made was, I didn't see enough of it to tell you if Vandy played great out of their minds or if A&M played bad, but I know what Vandy's talent is like, so I just have to assume A&M played bad. And, I mean, that's that's not a good sign. You know, you're talking about this is supposed to be your year where you really take a step forward and you come out uninspired at home. I mean, that's... That they could have played time. eight more quarters, and Vanderbilt was only going to score another touchdown or two. Oh, I'm sure, but that's on Vanderbilt. That's not on Texas yeah. A&M. Vanderbilt just doesn't have the horses. I don't. I don't have the alternate channel, like I said before. But I watched, which, by the way, are incredible. If you want to catch up on games, there's like there's a YouTube channel that does ten to fifteen minute long highlight packages of games, mm-hmm. and it's just play, 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 play. They cut it up really nicely, so you see a good portion of the game. Uh, this Seals kid has some talent. I mean, true yeah. freshman getting his first start in the SEC and not a lot around him. He's got he's 20 some. 20 to 29, touchdown, couple of picks, 185 yards or so. Looked better than the other highly touted freshman that played for an SEC East foe. So. Let's go to the picks when we come back. But before we do that, let's go to the tape. This was Brian Haydad. Wrong team favored. 29 to 13, Auburn over Kentucky. And a pick six Hmm. was called back. Probably should have been worse. Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix. Let's just talk a little bit more about that. Auburn-Kentucky game. Kentucky, the opponent for Ole Miss this coming Saturday. Early Kentucky lead after a 35-yard touchdown run from maybe the best name in college football, Cavassier Smoke. Oh, yes. Auburn. Touchdown, two-point conversion, up 8-7. to seven. Third quarter touchdown for Auburn made it 15-7. to seven. Kentucky decided to chase points with a minute to go in the third quarter. Did not convert on their two-point conversion. 15-13. Bo Nix, another touchdown pass to Seth Williams. And then Eli Stove caught a touchdown pass with 8-17 to play. 29-13. Had an um, interception return for touchdown called back because of a targeting penalty against Auburn. Kentucky also on the receiving end of a uh, kind of a tough call for the old officials. The play prior to the 100-yard pick six that was called back looked like they got into the end zone. Oh, they got in. Oh, he's Reviewed in. it. Still looked like they got into the end zone. Call on the field is upheld. There was not inconclusive video ever to evidence to overturn the call on the field, and therefore the uh, call stands. Terry Wilson threw it 37 times. That is not a formula for success yeah. for Kentucky. Yeah, that was my question. Is I had it on the other TV, so I didn't watch every single detail, but Smoke was a good back last year. And to see the discrepancy in Wilson passes versus Smoke carries... 
you're not winning many games like that. Seven carries. One of Kavassier which took to the house. Yeah, it was a 35-yard touchdown run. Bo Nix, by the way, had five carries for 34 yards. Pretty efficient in the passing game, 16-27, to 27, 233, three touchdowns, no picks. That's not bad. Not super sexy, but not bad. Williams is a dude, by the way. K.J. Britt led Auburn with 11 tackles. Smoke Monday had 10 tackles in the game. They played this one without Big Cat Bryant. Banged up a little bit, did not play. Say those two names again. Smoke Monday and Big Cat Bryant. <laughs> Auburn might be my favorite team. Sounds like a buddy cop show. Smoke and the <laughs> Big Cat. Heck of a podcast name. So, yeah, Auburn gets the win. And that's all of them from Saturday, right? Believe I think we so, went through yeah. them all. So what do we got then? What do we got for these? Uh, Here are the picks. These picks. This is what you may remember. Tennessee was a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against South Carolina. These are the numbers that we went with. Texas A&M was a 31-point favorite at home against Vanderbilt. Bama, 28 on the road. Georgia, 28 on the road at Arkansas. Auburn, seven-and-a-half-point favorite at home. LSU, 16-and-a-half-point favorite at home. And Florida, a 14-point favorite at Ole Miss. I was correct on Tennessee. Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State. I missed on Texas A&M, who only missed covering by 26 points. And I was off on Alabama because well, they decided to play everybody. And then Ole Miss, who was one more completed pass away from making us all winners on that. So I went 4-3. and three. Michael Borky had South Carolina. That was a loser. He had Vandy. That was a winner. Bama was a loser. He had Ole Miss. That was a loser. He went four and three. Brian Hayden had picked Tennessee. That was a winner. Good pick. And that was it. Um, You lost on A&M. You lost on Bama. Georgia. Nope, you lost. 27 and a half. Kentucky? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. LSU? Nope. Ole Miss? Uh-uh. Last time I believe in them. One and six. How you like your state? In his selections. Medium rare? The Pearl River Resort would love for you to come on down and hang out at the sports book at Timeout Lounge, Mr. Haydad. So, week one standings, Michael Borky 4 and 3, Richard Cross 4 and 3, Brian Haydad hind tip 1 and 6. Your tweet gloating about coming on the show Monday after you picked LSU was something. Hey, <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't worried about the picks. Just worried about, you know, my life. Hey, Dad says, when presented with new information. <laughs> I got, I got a lot ready, of information this week. I got 623 yards worth of information. So what I'm about to say does not take away from the fact that Mississippi State had a good win. In fact, it, I've seen and heard you know, somebody in the office earlier even said, well, you know, LSU, they lost all this stuff. Well, so did Mississippi State. And by the way, 
Mississippi State was not expected to be a good football team. It was There was no spring practice. Summer workouts were all screwed up. It was a completely new identity in a football program. Haydad's been saying, and nobody's disagreed with him, that, hey, if they went 4-6, and six, you'd be fine with that. You take that. A lot of stuff was going against Mississippi State. So when you're going to use this, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal because LSU wasn't supposed to be very good. If you're going to put LSU into context, also put Mississippi State into context. So I'm not yeah. saying that it was not a big win because it is. It was a very big, important win. Great stuff. But what do you make of LSU and Ed Orgeron and Bo Pelini and the quarterback situation and the honeymoon stage and all that stuff? I said yesterday that the thing about honeymoons is they end quickly. The reaction around there has been brutal, as expected, but what is your evaluation now of LSU this season and beyond? Here's all I want to say. I, I said I said my hot take was I don't know about I don't trust Miles Brennan. I don't know that he'll finish the season as a starter. I don't think he's that good. I mean, this is a guy that State and Ole Miss basically passed. Him. I was gonna say, let, let, let me interrupt you just for a second and say Go true ahead. or false. Did not receive a scholarship offer from Mississippi Did State not. or Ole Miss. Or at I don't least know not prior to getting one from LSU. Right. And, I mean, even Dylan Favre got a Mississippi State offer. Brennan did not. So there's that. And then the other thing I want to say is this. All these people that tried to convince me that Joe Brady was just sitting up in the press box saying, hey, nice call, Steve. Good job. I like that one. I mean, come on. It's pretty obvious, right? That guy was running the show. He was the passing game coordinator. Well, what was LSU doing last year? They were throwing it for 5,700 yards. Joe Brady was making that train run. And now he's gone. And Burrow's gone, and those other guys are gone. And the, the thing is this. LSU will still win seven games, probably. Maybe even eight. Ooh, but, ooh hot take. I don't know how hot it is. They still have a ton of talent. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let's look at the schedule. I got it right here. I had them eight and two coming in coming into the season, but I had them beating Mississippi State, obviously. I had them losing to Alabama and Florida. They've got at least oh, three shoot, more losses. Oh, I don't know about so, that. So so it's Vanderbilt next week in Nashville, but whatever. The, Missouri right. at home. Win. Then they go to Florida. Loss. loss. Host South Carolina. Win. Probably. Probably. Go to Auburn. Loss. Who knows? Who knows? Loss. It's a loss. It's a loss. Auburn's defense is good. Really good. I don't. I don't know that that's a loss. That's three. Host Alabama. They lose that. One. That's four. Go to Arkansas. They win. Win. Go to Texas A and M. Who knows? Looked like crap yesterday, but they're talented. Yeah, talking about the end. Of and the then season, host Ole Miss. Everything's figured out. Yeah, I. I, 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 I could see Ole Miss as a toss up with LSU. I don't know about that. I just said I wasn't going to have any more faith in Ole Miss after they, they got me last weekend. So. They did just put up 600 yards of offense against the number 5 team in the country. That did happen. I'm just saying. But the, all that said, to get back to the point, Joe Brady, his loss is is a big part of this. I, I don't want to hear that he was just up there, you know, like getting the coffee for Singer now. He, he was running that show. You can't convince me otherwise. I don't really care what anybody else says on this topic. I don't believe it. I want to do this with everybody. I'll keep talking. No, not here. with everybody, everybody. I want to walk through the schedule the rest of the way. 
Okay. All right, so State gets the win against LSU, so they're they're already plus one. Oh yeah. Arkansas, it's a win. At Kentucky, don't know yet. I, I would take State today, though. Texas A and M at home, I would take State today. All right, so you got them four zero going into an Play, open date and a trip to Alabama, which I would lose. I think that's four and one. Might be interesting. For a change. Slow your roll just a bit there, Fred. Hey, it, I'll just, take just interesting after the last two years and it's fifty-eight to seven combined. Vanderbilt, that's five and one. Should be five and one. Auburn. I would probably take Auburn today, but I don't know. Five and two. At Georgia. Probably lose. Five and three. At Ole Miss. Win. <laughs> I love your certainty there. And then Missouri. Seven and three, possible. They're better than I thought they'd be. It's because they're better defensively, though. Let's catch up on a few texts from you on the C Spire text line. Mike in Oxford says, I don't think Miles Brennan would start at Tulane or ULL. Not ULL. Not based on what I saw in Ames, Iowa. Tulane did score 66 last week. Yeah. I'm not intentionally avoiding talking about that game. It just feels like maybe it would be less painful to not talk about it. We'll visit with Luke Johnson probably tomorrow and kind of walk through some of it, maybe allow that wound to not be quite so fresh. And I imagine the focus for most Southern Miss people is turned on, all right, who's the next coach? Yeah, probably so. Long way to go. Um, here's one. I love COVID football. I say we do it like this every year. Sands COVID. And Arkansas isn't a gimme game. Well, they For play him. Georgia tough. And like I said, they are they're significantly better at quarterback. I know he turned the ball over a couple of times and stuff, but Franks can play. Is he great? No, but but he can play. He's competent. I think I know what you mean by I love COVID football. We rolled out on Saturday. And had seven SEC games in seven SEC cities. And went to bed Saturday night knowing that, assuming we don't have any derailment because of COVID, next week we've got seven SEC games in seven SEC cities. That's fun. It may not be fun for the coaches. It may not be fun for the players. Maybe it's not sustainable for, you know, week in, week out. Maybe it hurts the, you know, Non-Power 5 teams where the revenue is so very important. I'm with you. I I get all those things. But do you know how cool it is to open the season with an SEC game and then turn around and not get ready for directional whomever? Just another SEC game coming up. Well, I guess this is week two. We could be breaking down SEMO. What are they, the Red Hawks? I believe that's correct, yeah. That sounds like Um, fun. KJ may throw for a thousand against Ole Miss. Their de- defense is scary bad, but their offense will keep them in some games. That's how they'll have to win some games this year. I mean, again, and people, yeah, uh, look, I, it, it was not good, but people are kind of losing the fact that Florida has a very, very, very good quarterback, preseason All SEC quarterback, an elite level first round pick, tight end, good running backs, and a good wide receiver. I mean. 
Florida's top five for a reason, guys. We'll, we'll know a lot more about Ole Miss this weekend. Yes, this weekend. I, I agree with they you. They go to Kentucky. That's a big game. I agree. It feels like it's more more in the same weight class. Um, you know, hey, Dad, it's interesting. We were talking earlier about KJ Costello was incredible. Yeah, and yet he wasn't perfect. No. And Mike Leach said today they they left some stuff out there on the field with turnovers. Yeah, some missed opportunities, some incompletions, a few drop balls. Yeah, I mean the and he still uh, threw the, for six hundred twenty three yards. The first the first fumble came in deep in LSU territory. I mean they were probably going to score there. Yeah, Ole Miss scored thirty five against the top five team. They had an interception deep in Florida territory where the ball was batted at the line of scrimmage and ended up in the the gut of a defensive lineman. Missed a scoring opportunity there. They had a touchdown called back for a holding call. And, you know, there obviously was a big play where they would have gotten the ball back if not for the for the roughing the passer. And then on the final play of the game, had an incomplete pass that could have led to a touchdown. I, again, if something happens, that doesn't mean all those things happen and the, the flow of the game can change and whatever. I, I don't think Ole Miss was beating Florida on Saturday even if all those things go right, because the flow of the game would have been different. The point I'm making is Ole Miss's offense rolled up over 600 yards, had only one interception by their starting quarterback, and yet they left some stuff out there. And and, and so, yeah, I, I get the whole their defense is terrible, but their offense is going to keep them in some games. Their offense is going to do more than just keep them in some games. They're going to win some games. Playmakers I, I, at every level. Yeah, I, I don't think that this. I don't think that this is a seven-win team, and I think six is a stretch. But I think five is very doable. There's a path. I, I shouldn't say very doable. I think five is doable. But that includes a win on Saturday in Lexington. Yep. And it includes beating Arkansas, and it includes beating Vanderbilt, and it includes beating South Carolina. And then you got to get one more, either in a rivalry game against Mississippi State or steal one against Auburn or steal one against Texas A&M. Um, Jason says it's a fool's errand to judge teams after one game in the regular season. Probably very wise to withhold judgment in this psychotic season. Everyone is in some degree of a deficit because of the offseason of nothing. Jason, you are correct. And yet, we are in the sports talk radio business where if we don't make some judgments after week one, I mean, we, we, we've talked about all of this in a very measured approach. But now, I want to go 100% against what you are saying and let's pull back the old team schedule out. And I'm going to go with a great, big, sweeping generalization about each team. And, hey, Dad and Borky, I want you guys to tell me whether game one was an anomaly or if this is what they are. Florida defensively are. gave up 600-something yards to Ole Miss. Is that an anomaly? Or is that who the Gators are going to be defensively this year? That's an anomaly. They, they were up big, and they... they... They didn't. They weren't as engaged in the fourth quarter. But it, it it never got like completely. But it was. Ne- but they Mullen never felt threatened. Is what I would say. Okay. 
Georgia's inability to run the football. Uh, Borky, do you agree on that, that Florida defensively giving up that much is an anomaly? Uh, Yeah, mostly because if you look at their schedule, uh, I mean, week one overreactions, uh, are they facing an offense that is competent for the next few weeks? Maybe not for the next four. South Carolina, A&M, LSU, Missouri. I mean, there's some time for Georgia to get right before that game, but Florida, by default, is going to be much better defensively because you've got teams coming up on the schedule that don't have the weapons that they just saw. And by the way, the Gators don't play Alabama in the regular season. Yeah, Lucky them. Would you be shocked if Florida went 10-0? Not for a second. A little surprised, but not shocked. Mostly because of how bad LSU looked and how bad Georgia looked. You know, it, the, those games don't look like, like landmines anymore. I feel like Georgia will will improve once JT Daniels is running the show. Sort of going to your next thing about the running game. I think yeah, Georgia's an inability to run the ball. Anomaly or no? I think that's an anomaly. I think once they have Daniels, their offense will become a lot more competent. Okay. That includes the running game. And defensively, Georgia looked pretty good. Yeah. They got, ta- they they got did. a ton of talent there. Probably not the debut that uh, new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin was looking for in Athens. No. All right, Kentucky. Not as good as we thought they were going to be coming into the year? Anomaly? Or is maybe they're not going to be as good as we thought they were going to be? That was exactly what I expected. I'll tell you on Monday. Next Monday. Uh, Missouri, we'll skip over them. South Carolina, whatever. Tennessee. That that's what they are. They're they're not talented enough. Just I, I thought they would win by more. I won't lie about that. But they aren't just going to go in there and blow teams out. They, they're still a, a work in progress. But they're better. They're better. They're going to win the games they're supposed to win this year, and they'll have an opportunity in the games to get upsets where they where they where that's the case too. Alabama, Alabama's defense looked like an Alabama defense that you expect. Is that what we're going to see this year, or was the opening game performance against Missouri an anomaly? I think that's what they are. I think they're going to be really mm-hmm. good defensively. Everybody I talked to about Alabama said this defense should be really, really good. I don't even know what to take away from Auburn. I think they beat a pretty decent Kentucky team. I think Bo Nix was very efficient. The running game was a little lacking. And the defense was really good. Oh, by the way. Who decided it was a good idea for Auburn to wear black shoes with that uniform? I don't get that either. That was gross. Really gross. But isn't what you saw kind of their brand, though? I mean, that's kind of been Auburn over the last few years. A little bit lacking offensively. Uh, Bo Nix, he was okay, but really, really, really good defense. Bo Nix was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I guess pretty good. You know, we, we watched more closely two much better performances, so maybe that's uh, clouding my judgment on Bo Nix. But... That, that's Auburn's brand. They've recruited so well, even though you don't know some of these names on defense, they're going to be very salty on that side of the ball. That's kind of the Auburn that we've seen. Borky, I'd say three better performances. Oh, yeah. With I've... Costello and Kyle Trask and also Matt Corral. Yeah, forgot to mention Corral the third. was good yeah. on Saturday. He was really good. He, made, he even made some plays with his feet. He doesn't run the way John Rice Plumley does, but... He had a couple of third-down conversions with his feet that were big plays for Ole Miss. He's a good athlete. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.